right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Are we firing at the transfer portal again today? We can. What's new? I don't know if anything's new, but, you know, if we're not opening up the transfer portal, we're missing out on potential transfers that would like to enter the portal. I saw yesterday there's already 800 kids. 800. It's March 25th. There's already 800 kids who have entered their name into the Season's transfer portal. not even over. I wouldn't have even guessed there are 800 players. I guess mathematically there would have to be. Yeah, there's like 300 and what, 50 teams? Yeah, so times 12. You can, you're good at math. Can you do that? It'd be like uh, 4,200, something like that. Or is it 13 scholarships? I think it's 13. Adjust, probably like adjust your formula then. Somewhere around 4,500 to 5,000. So what is that? 800 so far of 4,500. That's one sixth. One, yeah. Oh, I'm pretty good. About that. Good job, Nick. Yeah. That's crazy. And th- that number is going to climb. So that means on average, like, two of every team. And that's what we've been projecting for KU, so they'd be on average if two players leave. KU has that, as that, I wouldn't say a problem, it's just a byproduct of being Kansas. You recruit players who think that they're going to, you know, be able to earn playing time. After a year or two, they realize that's not in the cards, so they go somewhere that offers a better opportunity. For some of these other programs, though, like, you, you know, and we won't know... But some of these guys, you just wonder, would they have stayed under the former rules? Or was this in the cards no matter what? Like Tyson Walker probably is transferring no matter what. I mean, he averaged 19 points a game, two and a half steals, conference defensive player of the year. He's looking at his opportunity and saying, do I want to just do this for two more years and go down as another guy who maybe you know, scores 30 points in an NCAA tournament first-round loss, or do I want to go play for Kansas or Texas or Michigan State and play on ESPN 15-plus times a year for the next two or three seasons? Right, have a chance to win a title, have a chance to get noticed. By the way, American teams. that number can't just be 15, right? 15 what? More than that. 15 what? Times the KU's on ESPN. Um... It felt like this year they were on ESPN Plus a lot, didn't it? Okay, let's say that's five games. They still had, they play 30 games in a season. Maybe one or two's on CBS. Yeah. You have 25 games, basically, on national TV. Yeah, I mean, like the TCU games, I feel like we're on ESPN Plus, and anytime they're playing a cruddy team, it's probably going to be on ESPN Plus. But in a normal year, yeah, probably 20 plus. Either on ESPN or ESPN2. I went back last night, you know, yesterday, two days ago, I was watching a lot of video on Tyson Walker, the Northeastern transfer. Last night, I went back and, and started watching some of this Ty Ty Washington kid. 
He's a fringe top 30 player in the class, the 2021 high school freshman from Phoenix, Arizona. His shot doesn't look as pure as Tyson Walker. I mean, Tyson Walker has got a pretty jumper. Like, that's going to translate. That's a guy who's going to be able to knock down shots. This guy isn't quite as impressive, but he is 6'4". He can finish in transition. He's a big athlete, pretty explosive. You can see why, and I don't know that this to be the case, but you could see why potentially KU would favor a guy like him over Walker. Yeah, and I do think it'll be interesting, like, if you're trying to think of from a scouting perspective, what would be the best pairing of guards? And we don't know, like, who would that other guy, who would the front runner be? You know, Mark Scarrett probably won't be back. If he is back, then that would be the answer, and you'd want somebody who's a better shooter. If it's Dewan Harris, you want somebody who's a shooter. But also, if you get Tyson Walker, those are two pretty small guards next to each other as your backcourt. Um, on the flip side, though, if Ty Ty Alexander or Ty Ty Washington, I keep confusing the Ty Washington Alexander, yeah, all the yeah. same thing. Um, if neither of them are shooters between Harris and, and him, then is that a problem? You know? So. I, I don't know, like, where you go with this. But I think it's interesting that even though you think of with Ty Ty, him being, I don't even know which guy has the last name anymore. Is it Tyson Alexander? Ty Ty Washington Ty-Ty and Washington. Tyson, okay. Tyson Walker. I don't know where you're getting Alexander. I don't know. There's no Alexander. Anyway, um, I think what you need to do here is basically think of this as who has the better long-term play. Like, I don't. I, I guess I get the grad transfer thing because as of now, as you've mentioned before, like we don't know that Kansas love postseason ban next year. We don't know that there will even be a decision by then, you know? But knowing that that could be staring at you in the face, I would think you'd want the guy who you think would be around at a longer term. Well, think about it like this. Um, one of these guys, Tyson Walker, is two years older. He is six foot. He is 175 pounds. One of these guys is six foot three is two years younger. He's a high school senior and he weighs 185 pounds. And I would imagine Bill Self is looking at these two guys. And I I firmly believe Tyson Walker helps you more right away. But I'm also not going to look at a... We look at these freshmen and say, well, he'll probably be a one and done. Will he? And Bryce Thompson was top 25, top 30 player in the country. He's not a one and done. No, but I think he'd be expectations are probably a two and done maybe 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 man sure um but okay i'm not even gonna go there i'm not even gonna go there no 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 but i would do want to go there in a different way um if he is a one and if he's not a one and done that means he probably wasn't as good as the other guy you know because if he was if he has the stats that the other guy has coming in he's gonna be a one and done yeah because he's six foot three, right? But he's also one hundred eighty-five pounds. Uh, he's not Lamelo Ball, dude. Okay, this guy's not like a transcendent talent. No, but that's what I'm saying. If with with Ty Ty, if he comes in, then it's a situation where if he does play as well as you think you're getting from a grad transfer, he probably does go pro. Whether that's after the first year, second year, or third year, and if that does mean he's going after his third year, that probably means the first two years weren't as good as he thought. Maybe. I do think, though, there is just a level of, and even if it is a two and done, dude, if you're making a decision because you get one guy for three years and another guy for two, you've you messed up. You are you are way oh way overthinking this. Because with either one of them, 
you're going to say, okay, I got this core roster for the next two years. I got Ochai for at least one more year. Jalen Wilson probably for at least one more year. All these guys, Brown, McCormick, one more year, maybe two more years. Like that's this window of this team. Your team is not going to drastically change in that time period. Maximize it over the next two years. Who gives you the best chance to do that? And who knows what a guy like he's six foot three, 185 pounds, like give him a year or two with a actual training staff and a training program where he starts to add muscle and strength to that frame. That's how he becomes an NBA player. Right? Six foot three, 185 pounds doesn't scream NBA player, but six foot three, 200 pounds, get some muscle to go along with that explosiveness and some strength. Like that does sort of make you wonder. And like I said, Eric Bossy rivals or 24 seven said yesterday, Hey, this guy is, um, or what did he say? I'll read you the exact passage. Intel coming from coaches looking to get involved, though. Early word is that perhaps Bill Self and the Jayhawks have put themselves in best position, which would be huge for them given their need to sign a point guard this spring. They're, you're not getting both of them. But that passage makes me wonder if if this is more about how the player feels about the uh, players feel about the program or how the program feels about the player. That passage would almost indicate to me maybe Bill Self and this staff are slightly leaning towards or favoring Washington over Walker. And if you are to take that a step further, I, I would simply wonder, is it, a, is it all a size thing? Like somebody, somebody tweeted that to me yesterday and said, I mean, what would you do? What would you give up for an extra four inches? And I said, personally, I give it all up. I give up everything for an extra four inches. What would Bill Self do, right? Would he take the size over the experience and the proven commodity? Well, again, I think that goes back to who you would. I, I don't know. There's not a right answer here because if, if Dewan Harris is the quote-unquote other guy that you're looking at as being the guard back there, then it probably changes because then that is a smaller guard. But also you want a shooter next to him. But if it's maybe Bryce Thompson you're looking at as the other guy, then maybe you can get away with it if he's not as consistent of a shooter. And maybe you can get away with a smaller guy. But realistically, both those guys are going to play. So I don't, I don't know. Is there a piece of you too that wonders if there's like, you know, so much of recruiting, especially with where KU is at. Like, you remember when Bryce Thompson committed, Bill Self talked about how important it was that Bryce Thompson committed to them during all this. Because it was almost like he broke the barrier. For the water's a, fine. Get it. Yes. And you almost wonder if getting the freshman recruit, the guy coming out of high school, kind of helps you in that regard. I think it matters. Mm-hmm. I do. Perception does matter when it comes to recruiting 18-year-old kids. Perception doesn't matter in all aspects of life, but in recruiting it does. To show everybody else, it's fine. See, this guy went to Kansas. He's fine. Does he feel like he was held back by this infractions case? No. Which I think, honestly, is an is an interesting sort of segue. Like, how much is this infractions case truly hurting Kansas on the recruiting trail? I want to get into that. Coming up next, we'll talk more about it with Scott Chasen of Fog.net coming up later this hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. 
Get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's you know washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's, unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations, and there are a lot of them, unlimited guest service, most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. Gary Bedore of the Kansas City Star reported last night that Brandon McKissick, the transfer from UMKC, confirmed via text message that after his call with Bill Self and the KU staff yesterday, he did receive an offer from Kansas. Averaged 17 points, four rebounds, three assists, and a steal and a half per game last year for UMKC. He was the Defensive Player of the Year for the Summit League, and he shot 43% from three on four attempts per game. Pretty good. His junior is a big jump, too. From his junior year, he shot 37% from three up to 43% as a senior. So he was also all-conference, two-time all-conference uh, defensive team in the WAC before UMKC switched from the WAC to Summit League. So he's more of a combo guard. I talked to Shea Wildeboer of Jayhawks Lane. He told me this guy's more of a combo guard as opposed to a true point. This is a th- this is the type of guy that you would bring in and say, you can compete for a starting job, kind of like Isaiah Moss. Like, you can compete for a starting job. I'm not going to sit here and promise you one. You're not. Bill Self is not going to promise this guy, hey, you're going to start over Bryce Thompson and Christian Brown. He's going to say, you're going to compete with those guys. But if I'm this kid and I'm looking at those two guys' stat lines or looking at their seasons, I'm saying, cool. I'm comfortable with that. Because I just averaged 18 a game and I'm a knockdown shooter. Those guys, pretty inconsistent. This guy's a senior, too. He's got some experience. Um, and wants to, You've only got one year left. Well, I don't know. He's, he's already played four years, so he gets an extra year. I guess he could grad transfer after that. I don't know exactly how that would work. But in all likelihood, you're only getting one year of him. He's not somebody I, I look at and say... You get him or you get Tyson Walker or you get Ty Ty Washington. I think you would look at him and say you could pair him next to one of those guys. You could pair him next to whoever you've got at the point. And maybe he does you know, play uh, a little bit on the ball. Just sort of a, a combo guard type role. Yeah, again, though, like, I mean, it gets really log jammed um, because. But it, I don't think so. I don't think so. If you bring in two, I'm saying. So two additions, you're already losing Marcus Garrett. So you're right. saying two additions goes from you being super thin if in the backcourt to combos. Yes. Well, who's the other like, combo? Well, I guess I would consider Bryce Thompson a combo. I would too. Yeah. Um, and then Dewan Harris is just a point guard, but the combo and the point guard are gonna kind of split similar minutes. Yeah, but that's not a logjam. That's competition. 
It's only a logjam if you look at it from the onset and say, well, all those guys deserve to play. Like, if you're looking at it saying Bryce Thompson deserves to have a role, Christian Brown deserves to have a role, Dewan Harris deserves to have a role, I mean, yes and no, you deserve what you earn. If you go out there and compete and you earn a role, like, that's not, you don't, say no to talent because you're worried about there being too much competition. Like, if that means that somebody gets sort of left on the outside looking in, I mean, this is Kansas basketball, dude. You don't worry about that problem. You let it take care of itself. And if somebody's doesn't want to deal with that, then after next season, they, they're free to transfer. But I don't think you worry about it being logjammed because that's the exact opposite of what you dealt with this year. You dealt with yeah. being too thin. And at times... When guys weren't playing well, they stayed on the court anyway because you didn't have anybody else to bring in in place of them. Yeah, I, I think you actually bring up a good point here, which it's the idea that I, I, I think sometimes with Kansas, like the idea that you need to be political almost, that, that might be the wrong word, but you know, like Christian Brown, for instance, he goes from averaging 30 minutes a game this year. What happens if you bring in two of those guys and the result is you're not just playing two of those combo guards together. You're playing three of the combo guards together. You know, you're throwing out lineups where Bryce Thompson's essentially the three. And you have two of those guards with Dewan Harris and one of the transfers or something in the lineup. Now you're losing wing minutes as well. And it could hurt a guy like Christian Brown. And, like, I, I don't mean to just throw out Christian Brown in this scenario, but it could happen to anybody to where it's like, oh, all of a sudden you go from averaging this many minutes this year and now your minutes are cut in half next year. And you lose the guy via transfer. And the political side of it would be, no, we want to hold on to that player. We like the way he's progressing by the time he's a senior or something. Like, we think he could be an excellent player for us. But also, the reason you can't worry about that is, to your point, this is Kansas basketball. You're trying to win now. But also, you know, and I think this applies the more I think about it with, um, like, Ty Ty Washington, for instance. Sure, you might get less years out of him than Tyson um, Walker. But, you know, what's going to happen if, if Ty Ty Washington leaves after two years, you think they're just filling that one extra year that you were going to get with the other guy with some scrub, or do you think it's going to be some four-star prospect? Right. So if you lose a guy via transfer or you lose a guy by going pro early, it's not like it's just going to be the cupboards bare. It's not like NFL free agency where you got to go uh, spend another money on somebody else. You're going to get somebody else via the transfer market or recruiting. So that is important to remember. Yeah, exactly. So I think they go out and, and try and accrue as much talent as they possibly can. Think about the amount of scholarship players that you had on this year's roster who just didn't play a role on a, on a thin team. On a thin team. Like, first and foremost, Tyon Grant Foster, we thought he might be the leading scorer on the team. We thought he might be the leading scorer for this team. He didn't play. He couldn't get on the court. Tristan and Aruna had essentially the same role as a sophomore, as he did as a freshman. And there was ample opportunity for him to carve out a role. Nothing against those guys. I just, like, in the case of Inaruna, like, I don't th see things changing. So what do you want to do with those scholarships? Ask yourself that as a coach. Do you want those scholarships to go to guys who are going to help you and make your team stronger and more competitive? Or do you give them to guys who you don't think are going to play a role because you think it helps the balance of the locker room. And I, I just, I don't, I don't subscribe to that. And I certainly don't think Bill Self is the type of coach that looks at things that way. You know, the, the idea that KU is going after a, 
a guy like Ty Ty Washington, a top 30 player in the country. It's not a top 10 player. He's not a blue chip recruit. But I had somebody ask me this last night, referring to Bill Self's comments after the loss to USC. And I know we've done it, and I'm not saying it's 100% inaccurate, but I think that we need to set the record straight on something. Because it's a little funny to me the way that people conveniently frame the position that Kansas finds themselves in right now. We say, this team's not as talented as typical Kansas teams. Factual. Because they haven't been able to recruit as well as they have in recent years. Factual. Because of the NCAA infractions case. Facts. Like Bill Self's admitted as much this year. It has hurt them in recruiting. It's easier to recruit against them when you can say, hey, you don't want to go there. You don't know what's going to be happening in a year or two if you're going to be able to play in the NCAA tournament. But here's where I I have a bit of an issue with it, is that when you really start to dive into not just the the past couple of recruiting classes, but big picture. Okay, R.J. Hampton, top five player in the class two years ago, went and played his ball in New Zealand. Said if he would have went to college, he would have went and played for KU. Now, Did the infractions case make his decision for him? I don't know. I doubt it. Because if that were the case, then why would Kansas have been his top choice if he were going to play college basketball? Right? I don't think the infractions case is what sent him to New Zealand. KU lands him? What are we saying then? They would have had RJ Hampton on their team last year in 2020 instead of Isaiah Moss starting at the two. How do you think that would have worked out? Would we still be saying the KU is not as talented? Okay. Oh, well, they're not getting the blue chip guys, so that's why they're not as good. Well, they got Bryce Thompson, and he was pretty good. He just fell short of expectations. But you know guys who were ranked similarly to Bryce Thompson? How about Sharif Cooper at Auburn, who averaged 20 a game this year? How about Cam Thomas at LSU, who averaged over 20 a game this year? How about Hunter Dickinson, who wasn't even top 40 in this class? Top three big man in the country on a top three team in the country. You don't need top 10 guys to be quote-unquote talented because there are so many programs who don't get top 10 guys, who don't get top 10 classes each year, yet they're as consistent as any basketball. Look at what Gonzaga's done. Okay, they got Jalen Suggs this year. Congrats. Drew Timmy was a borderline top 50 player in last year's class, All-American this year. Okay? So they didn't get to where they're at. Because of Jalen Suggs, he was the icing on the cake. They would have been a really good team even if they didn't have him. They would. They'd still be a top five team in the country. Don't try to convince me otherwise. Villanova, year in, year out. Okay, they got Jeremiah Robinson Earl. That's great. They're not routinely getting top five classes. Virginia, not routinely getting top five classes. But those are amongst the most consistent programs in the country. We can talk about getting the one and dones because that is the popular thing for blue blood programs to do. It's what Duke does. It's what Kentucky does. But even as a Kansas fan, we all know Kansas has never quite done it like those two programs. They did it in 2014 when they got Wiggins and Embiid and Selden. That's the closest they've ever come. But year in, year out, number one, number two, in some order, is Duke and Kentucky. Every single year in recruiting. And Kansas isn't always three, or four, or five, or six, or seven, or eight, or nine. They've always been good, but let's stop acting like they're one of the premier premieres because Duke and Kentucky are on their own level. Everybody else is doing their own thing. And when Kansas had things humming at their best, which is basically before the last two years, before the last three years, 
What did we always say about what Bill Self did on the recruiting trail? Went out and found the perfect mix. Maybe you get one of these blue chippers to mix in with a couple other long-term guys with an already experienced roster. It's just about finding that melting pot, right? Just get that perfect combination that he was better at than anybody in the country. What's changed? What's changed? That you missed out on R.J. Hampton, a top five player in the class, and a lottery pick in the NBA draft. That would have changed your class tremendously last year, and he still would have been gone this year. And that your class last year, your best prospect was Bryce Thompson. There have been worse classes. There have been classes where a lower-ranked player was KU's best prospect. He just didn't do a whole lot this year. It's tough to hit on the Cam Thomases and the Sharif Coopers and the Hunter Dickinsons to pinpoint the guys that aren't pegged to be the, the, the one-and-dones, the premier pro prospects. It's hard to hit on those guys. But if Auburn... And LSU and Michigan can do it. There's no reason why Kansas can do it because those types of players, case in point, Bryce Thompson, Ty Ty Washington, they're still interested in Kansas even with the infractions case looming. They're still interested. It's not like Kansas can't get anybody to pick up the phone. And they're still getting visits. They're still sending out offers. And they're still getting commitments. They're just not getting the, the McDonald's All-Americans like they were two years ago. Two years ago, by the way. Two years ago. They got Devon Dodson and David McCormick Was and Bryce Quentin Thompson Grimes. Not a not a McDonald's All-American? Well, they didn't have the All-American okay. game, but he would have been. Yeah. He would have been. I, I think this whole, oh, well, it's the NCAA investigation. I mean, it is in a way, but it's also not fundamentally changing KU's ability to go out and field competitive teams. It's not. And even if you think it is, even if you think, no, they simply cannot recruit the way they used to. Okay, so they're not like Duke and Kentucky anymore, but who, what, whose level are they on? How many other programs can recruit better than Kansas can right now? I mean, they go out and get Ty Ty Washington, they're going to end up with a top 20 class in the country. It's not top 10. Bet you it's still good enough to be a top five team. Honestly, that might be preseason. Top 10 class. It might be. It might be. I don't know. Because you have another top forty recruit in Clements. You'd have like one of the top JUCO prospects, and you'd have uh, another kid that KJ Adams is yeah, like top like, eighty, I think. Yeah. That might be top ten. Might be. It's just it's just funny. I think people are lazy. They kind of throw it in as this footnote without having to explain exactly. Well, okay, show me the evidence. Show me the evidence, and all they'll do is point to the fact. Well, here's the recruiting ranking this year. Here it is, 22nd, not that good. No, that'd be a fun exercise. If you just go year by year and look at the team recruiting rankings, you're going to have random years, too, where you see, like, Vanderbilt is fourth. You right. Know? There's always a team like that. Multiple. Memphis last year. Stanford last year. Yeah. We'll talk about this with Scott Chasen of Fog Down. I'm sure he'll have some thoughts. We'll do that coming up next. Well, Bill Self has said it multiple times, including this year, that yes, the infractions case is hindering their ability to recruit. It's hurting them, I think is what he said on the recruiting trail. Yet, there's a really talented kid, top 35, I think he's 34th, according to 24-7 Sports. 24th or 34th ranked player in the country. He's a top five point guard in the country, and he seems to be Pretty interested in Kansas. You got a would-be McDonald's All-American last year in Bryce Thompson, had they had the game. Year before that, 
R.J. Hampton said, if I wouldn't have went to play pro in New Zealand, I would have went to Kansas. Top five player in the class. You know, the KU is a couple of guys, one guy they missed out on, um, and one guy that just wasn't great as a freshman from, I think, the tune changing just a little bit with just how difficult things have really been on the recruiting trail for Kansas. Let's talk more about that with Scott Chasen of Fog.net, who joins us now on the show. Scott, I know that there is some truth to it. Bill Self has admitted it, but how would you characterize how much different things have been recruiting for Kansas with this infractions case looming? Yeah, that's a good question. I think they've been a little different. Um, There have certainly been guys in situations where you would have expected classes to look different. Um, You know, probably the most shining example of that was uh, when KU had the opportunity to kind of pair Matthew Hurt with Jeremiah Robinson Earl um, a couple years ago or however long ago that was. And, um, you know, for whatever reason, they don't end up with either guy. I think uh, individually, you can look at recruits that were nearby or in their backyard or whatever that people felt like maybe they should have led on or they should have gotten. Um, you know, Kendall Brown was a, was certainly a name that there was a lot of interest in, and I think um, Kansas really felt like it had a, a great chance to land him, a five-star guy going to, to Baylor in this next class. So um, I think it has had an effect, but I, I also agree with you. Um, sometimes people make too much, I think, of – you know, in individual situations like Kansas is five-star recruits. If you go look at the list, I mean, that includes Sheck Diallo. That includes uh, Cliff Alexander. That includes Carlton Bragg. And, and, you know, none of those players individually changed the team all that much. Uh, kind of like the same way people are uh, have done kind of a post-mortem on this Kansas team and said um, it wasn't any good, it didn't have any talent. Like, you know, it was 9-1 and in the last 10 games uh, and, and beat Baylor, beat Oklahoma State, you know, went to overtime at Texas, whatever. And then, you know, 40% of the starting lineup got COVID-19. So like that, you know, that, that doesn't just erase everything else. But yeah, I do think it's been a little bit of a struggle in recruiting, um, but I don't necessarily think it's been a huge deal. The RJ Hampton point you brought up is a good one. I mean, you know, we'd be talking about Kansas's recruiting going three McDonald's All-Americans in, I think, 2018 to a top five guy on a loaded team in 2019 to another five-star guy in 2020. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's easy to make too much of it, but, but it has been a, a factor, I would say, just maybe not as much as people think. But to your point, it's a, like the word factor can mean multiple things. Is it a factor in not being able to get as loaded of recruiting classes, or is it a factor in not being able to assemble talented rosters? Because those are two very different things. I made a, I brought up the point in the, the last segment, like we can look at, like think about guys like Sharif Cooper or Cam Thomas or Hunter Dickinson, who were not blue chip recruits who turned into some of the best players in the country this year. That's one aspect. Okay, those are guys kind of of the Bryce Thompson ilk where you're not amongst the premier premier recruits, but you're still pretty highly rated and you just have to pinpoint the guys who are going to maybe outshine their expectations versus something you brought up, which is, Okay, but what about the the Villanovas and the Virginias and the Gonzagas and the Michigans of the world who they're putting together quality classes each year, but they're not Duke and Kentucky who is loading up on one-and-done talents. Like, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and there's certainly more than one way to field competitive rosters. Yeah, and again, that's kind of what goes back to what I was just talking about the current team, too, which is, you know, there there have definitely been guys Kansas has missed out on, or maybe there have even been guys they've taken because they've been 
worried that, you know, maybe we won't get X guy, so we'll take this guy and, you know, stuff like that where you start, you know, maybe going a little bit lower and accepting commitments or whatever earlier on. Uh, and yet, again, what was the current Kansas team? This team that, you know, some said uh, was devoid of talent, wasn't very good, obviously had a disastrous, you know, January, didn't have the non-con to acclimate. Bryce Thompson, you're, you know, had a very short non-con to acclimate, I should say. Bryce Thompson, your, you know, five-star guy gets a back injury, then breaks a finger. He doesn't play. And again, you know, going into the Big 12 tournament before, obviously, again, David McCormick and Jalen Wilson both got COVID, the team was, uh, or I guess counting the first game of the Big 12 tournament, the team was 9-1 and one in its last 10 games, had beat Baylor, had beat Oklahoma, had beat, had handled Texas Tech, had beat Oklahoma State. Um, and, you know, the Oklahoma game was obviously uh, without McCormick. So that was, you know, Mitch Lightfoot starting at center and, and you know, uh, again, like to me, that was the between what was the number one overall seed last year and what just based off the way they were playing to end the year and then obviously, you know, development, uh, what will be a preseason top five team. So you're going, you know, one seed, three seed, one seed. And I think that's uh, the way it's ended, I think, has caused people a lot of panic. I don't necessarily think it should. But, yeah, I mean, there are ways to develop talent on your roster, put guys in situations to succeed, and, and more often than not, Bill Self has found those ways. Um, as you're probably gleaning just from the early tone of this conversation, I'm actually not, like, nearly as, as low or negative on, on you know, some of the pieces on the KU roster and really even the last season, um, as I think a lot of people are. Uh, but that's mostly because I, I give a lot of respect to, to coronavirus and the pandemic and just how much of that affected and changed the equation for so many different teams in college basketball. Um, obviously, a separate conversation to be had that Kansas does have, you know, some more challenges in recruiting. And there have definitely been a few guys here or there uh, that they haven't been able to get. But um, more than anything, I, I just think this year is so hard to evaluate and look at as a whole that, you know, it, it really doesn't necessarily surprise me how it ended. And I don't think KU fans should be too disheartened by how it ended either. Okay, well, and let's let's start there. How it ended and what's next? How different do you expect this roster to look next season? A fair amount. Uh, I would expect mostly with the guys who didn't play, um, and I think that's true. Just because, right? We're we're assuming that everyone's going to be eligible, and you know, I guess that hasn't technically passed yet. I don't believe, but it it is expected to, and certainly any senior. Um, anywhere can go and, and just leave and, and, you know, they get that extra year of eligibility. They can play for free. So, um, you know, in Kansas's case, I would look down at the roster at four guys uh, who really didn't play, and that would be Tyon, Tristan, and then obviously uh, Latrell Giselle and, uh, and Jethro. And so, uh, you know, there's four players that, uh, you know, two of them, I guess Tyon and, and Tristan and Aruna, they, they played a little bit as the year went on, but what, Tyon Grant Foster had five you know, DNPs, I believe, just in the month of, or in the back half of February and into March. And, you know, I think he played more than five minutes, like one time. And uh, I don't know how many games I just wrote about it. But, uh, you know, to me, you know, that comes down to if a guy wants a a case to to play, if he wants to look elsewhere, it would make sense. Same with Tristan. Tristan and Aruna has a really interesting skill set. He's long. He is athletic. I, I think, People like his potential as a playmaker and as a kind of do-everything wing, but, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure when those opportunities would come at Kansas. And then at the same time, there are going to be a bunch of transfers, right? Like, there, there are so many transfers already in the portal. There are so many guys. I mean, every program is going to deal with it. If you're Kansas, why not go out there and, and take a look and see if you can 
uh, woo a college player who, you know, maybe he was a uh, the type of high school recruit that said, I'm, I'm not sure about Kansas, you know, because of the NCAA stuff or because of whatever, then went to a different program and then said, mm, you know what, actually being coached by Bill Self, that seems like the way to go. Um, I think those guys exist. Those guys are out there. Um, I don't think they're done at the high school ranks either. I mean, they're still looking at names there. So, uh, yeah, I, I would expect a, a fair amount of turnover. I definitely think bringing in at least one new point guard is a, is a big area of emphasis right now. Maybe two if you can get one from the high school ranks and one from the college ranks. But uh, it would not shock me to see a couple of guys depart due to transfer to open up some space. Do you think there could be any surprising departures for the NBA or are you expecting all the rotational pieces to be back? I would expect, I mean, if there is going to be one, it would probably have to be Ochai, right? That would like, I can't envision um, at this point, anyone else going, I mean, I guess the, the more likely surprise would maybe be a surprise return when you talk about Marcus Garrett, but even then that doesn't seem likely at all. Yeah. Also, yes, I would be very, I, I expect guys to test the NBA draft waters. I would do the same thing. Um, even though it's virtual, I guess this year, maybe probably. Um, but yeah, I would be very surprised. I think if any of the main contributors ended up departing to specifically start professional careers with the exception of, and I've said this before, like, it, to me, if I'm David McCormick, I'm probably not going to make the NBA, um, you know, without something like massively happening, you know, something in my game massively changing just because of like the athleticism, all that stuff. So like if he would be a guy that would make sense to me, almost similar to Perry Ellis, that like after his junior year, he could just go say, uh, you know, why don't, why don't I go overseas and just start cash and checks? So may, maybe if that was a priority to him. Uh, that would make sense. But even then, you know, it's, that's not something I've necessarily heard. That's not, you know, yeah. something that it, it would still surprise me if it happened. So, yeah, I, I expect all those guys probably uh, to be back for at least another year. Scott Chasen, Fog.net, 24-7 Sports, with us here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Okay, um, now that KU is is looking towards potentially making additions, I mean, the names have been reported. We've heard about Tyson Walker of Northeastern, um, Brandon McKissick, transfer from UMKC. These are guys who have sort of proven themselves at the college level already, being efficient scorers. Both those guys are uh, defensive or reigning defensive player of the years in their conferences. Do you feel like this staff is going to be more focused on the transfer market than they are high school kids that are out there still? Uh, I think if there was one, like if you could only add one more player, then yes. Um, but I, I, like I said, I, I think the opportunity will probably be available. Um, you know, I guess if it allows itself for multiple. Um, and, and again, it depends on who you want. Because if you strike out on your top two guys and you just name two uh, that I would say are definitely high up on the list, and then um, you know all of a sudden the only transfers available are guys you're you're kind of iffy on, and and there are still high schoolers you like. Um, then you know maybe that changes. But I do think a college ready guy is probably priority one, especially at solving that point guard position. And that's not a knock on Dewan Harris, um, who I think is a very good player and, and impressed and did a lot of good things as the year went on. But, you know, I, I think they want a, a not necessarily, you know, a, a, you know, a big six, 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 five, whatever guard, but I think they want a bigger, you know, athletic, long, good defender, good shooting, good distributing guard. And of course, everyone in the country wants that. But, you know, when you have these guys who are out there with this sample of college, you know, a college body of work who can do it, 
Um, you know, I, I just think it changes the equation with how the transfer portal really is going to work this year. And, and again, you know, we don't even know all the guys who are going to be in the portal. If you're of the belief that multiple KU players, not you in general, just, you know, like you, whoever, um, that multiple KU players are going to transfer, well, they haven't even announced it yet. So if that hasn't even come at Kansas, you know, that, that's got to come at, you know, 200 other schools that guys are going to, you know, start looking and putting their name in, and that won't be immediate. So um, I would expect, again, I, I think that's priority number one. And, and, you know, I think it's very possible we won't even know some of the names that the staff is going after um, in, until those guys make those announcements and do decide that they want to move on. Ty Ty Washington has been a popular name uh, ever since he decommitted from Creighton. I don't know. Maybe you could clarify this. I don't know if KU was in on his initial recruitment, but I know one of your colleagues, Eric Bossi, uh, has stated that other coaches believe that KU could be in a really good position to land this kid. What do you know about this kid and KU's involvement with him? Yeah, well, technically his offer is more recent, so whether or not they were involved, it definitely wasn't as serious as it is now. Uh, but it is very, very serious. Now, I think he's a kid that would make a lot of sense uh, for KU. Obviously, he was, uh, I think he was a long time. He was offered by Creighton, I'm pulling it up now, back in September. And then he was committed since basically November. So I guess not, you know, too crazy long a, a time period, but, you know, certainly at least a few months there. Um, I think... He's a, he's probably the highest rated prospect. He may not technically be, depending on how I guess the rest of the cycle shapes shapes up, but he's realistically the highest rated prospect you could ever hope to add. You know, at, at this point with a kid who's decommitting, who plays point guard a position of need, like this doesn't really happen. Sometimes there are uncommitted guys who make it. You know, all the way late in the year, like R.J. Hampton being a good example, um, or guys who you know end up going to a school in the spring or whatever, and that's been a thing for Bill Self, right? You know how he closes late, but very rarely do you get a situation like this where it just feels like point guards are kind of popping up all over the place. Um, you know, I, I think he is a playmaker. I think he has the ability to uh, spread the ball around. I think he has the chance to develop into a nice shooter. He's a good scorer. I think, uh, you know, just listening to some what some of our staff guys have said, there's, you know, legitimate professional NBA upside on him. So, you know, I think he'd be a, a really nice uh, fit for KU. But, you know, at the same time, again, he he's kind of interesting to me because if they land him, now you start wondering, like, well, what would – you know, potential transfer point guards think about that. How would Kansas view a guy like Washington versus, um, you know, a transfer guard they might want to bring in who would start, who would get priority? It opens up all this interesting stuff. But what I think the difference is between that and what this last year's team had is this last year's team almost had guys that you had to play, excuse me, had to play because, like, there wasn't anyone behind them. Whereas, you know, you, you land a guy like him, you land a transfer, and now all of a sudden you're, you're back to having these rosters overflowing with talent where, you know, Bill Self can really decide uh, who gives KU the best chance or, you know, hey, you're not playing well, you're out of the starting lineup. I mean, think about this. I don't know if, you know, Christian Brown, I, I don't think Christian Brown ever got benched this year. Um, I, I can't remember Maybe the that second half of the... What game was that where he started the game and then Dewan Harris started in place of him in the second half? Yeah. Uh, I can't so, I can't remember who it was against. Yeah. But so point being, they never took him out to start the game, mostly because, like, they counting health. They, they never had, like, the wings and pieces available. And, and you think about the amount of times where, 
you know, we would hear quotes or there would be things like they just need more out of him. They need more out of him. Whereas in other years, um, they had that, that, you know, that guy where you would start him for a few games. I mean, Yudoka Azabuki didn't start all his games in his senior year. You know, Bill Swift didn't like something he didn't practice and he got benched. So that's, that's a thing. Like, you know, that's very much a Bill Self thing. I remember um, Malik Newman and Gerald Vick going through that, and it just felt like he didn't have as many options to do that in this last year. So it's kind of funny to think about because you start, you know, looking at it and say, well, if they had this guy and this guy, and oh, that's so much talent, how would that work? But, like, that's almost always been what it has been, I guess, um, a lot of years. So, yeah, I think he'd be a good fit anyway. And, and you know, even so, I think getting him wouldn't necessarily roll KU out for transfers or, or to add in another player. Um, you know, again, I, I just think the thought is you probably bring in one freshman, you probably bring in one transfer, and then, um, you know, you see what you've got from there in terms of spots available. All right, before you go, can you just give us an over-under on how many additions you expect KU to make this offseason? Yeah, so I think I either posted this somewhere or tweeted, I can't remember, but I, I think the over-under would have to be at two. Uh, too flat. And I don't like choosing an over-under that isn't a half, but it almost seems like one is, I mean, as close to a given as possible. And it, so, you know, you put it at one and a half, whatever, uh, but it almost seems like two is, is kind of the most normal and expected number. So, you know, I think it's very possible Okay, you could have more than two departures. Uh, depending on how the rule works with seniors, you know, I, I still haven't totally gotten it clarified if someone comes back for their super senior year, so to speak, and transfers. I was under the impression previously that they would not, you know, they would count against the scholarship count. Some other people said, no, they won't count against the scholarship count. So that's probably something I need to look into more and get some clarity there. So, yeah, I mean, the over-under would probably be two. Um, I would expect it to be two. Uh, Quite frankly, I would bet the uh, exact, if that was an option to do, I guess if you were playing roulette instead of betting red or black you'd be betting on green but um yeah i mean two seems like the right number there just uh someone from the high school ranks and then someone with experience all right there we go that's the answer i was looking for scott chasen you can check out all of his work i'm sure he'll have a lot coming out in the coming weeks as ku sort of looks to reassess what they're going to look like next year on fog.net 24 7 sports.com always appreciate the time scott thank you so much man thanks for having me all right, that is Scott Chasen. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwert. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So now that the basketball season is over, a lot of attention going to focus back to what we were talking about about two weeks ago, which is finding an AD and finding a football coach. Let's talk about that with Brandon McAnderson, former Kansas running back, now with the Jayhawk Radio Network, who joins us on the show. BMAC, haven't talked to you the last couple of weeks. Maybe that's a good thing. Uh, the immediate aftermath we have a lot of opinions. I have a lot of opinions. You let things settle for a couple of weeks and things just sort of tend to clarify themselves. So now that we have had a couple of weeks since the departures of Les Miles and Jeff Long, when you look at this situation as a whole with the athletic department, looking for a leader, looking for a new football coach, what what do you kind of see as being at stake right now for this football program and for this athletic department? So I feel like everything in the athletic department, for one reason or another, has felt temporary. You know, whether that be, you know, what's the long-term viability of Les Miles? You know, is he going to extend past this contract? You know, the NCAA thing, what's the impact on the program that way? This is a big decision because I think they can put some of that stuff in the rearview mirror and start to map out a plan 
you know, that's in line with what the fan base wants, what the donors want, and what everyone wants to see. Now, that's easy to say, but those are the questions that they get to address, and I think it's an opportunity um, for them to do so wholeheartedly, and I think it's, it's going to be a good opportunity to make that type of decision. Now, when you look first um, at the athletic director position, you've been around this athletic department, you've been a part of this athletic department. What sort of characteristics do you think would, would lend themselves well to somebody who's going to take over that position? So I think someone that is in touch with what the donors want, the expectations of the donors. I think someone that has a good understanding of the athletic program um, and its weaknesses. I think some of the time with KU, it's always too simple. You know, it's always like, well, basketball takes care of itself, so you got to fix football. So then we go hire and pour all our resources into, you know, business as usual, you know, hiring ADs that have football connections or that understand football coaches that have been in those rooms. I think that Kansas football is so unique that they can't take that narrow of of a view of it. I think they need a wider view of what the athletic department wants to be and how they can fit football into that ideal. I think continuously trying to just fix football uh, with the hire, I think, has been something that's not really helped us, as opposed to trying to fit the collective idea of what the culture you want to build within the athletic department is and then hiring a coach that's in line with that and then moving forward that way. I think that would be... You know, something I'd like to see, I'd like to see it more of a collective focus and a little bit less focus on football. And I know that's weird to say, but the idea that you're going to hire somebody that knows a bunch of football coaches is going to fix your program is just not, I mean, it's, you know, I don't think it works like that. I think you need to be more collective in your approach and more big picture in your approach for the whole athletic department and then fit football into that. Yeah, because Jeff Long came over from Arkansas, from SEC football country, where that was sort of his track record. Like the two things that we knew most about uh, about Long in his time at Arkansas was that he hired Bobby Petrino and he hired Brett Bielema. Like good or bad, those were sort of the top two lines on his resume. He had a football background, but he also had a lot of experience in athletic administration for this job specifically. Do you feel like it needs to be someone who has a lot of experience in athletic administration? I do. I think it's someone that, you know, has been around multiple situations, has negotiated different kinds of deals, you know, has seen kind of the landscape of the conference, uh, of the conference constructs, you know, from multiple platforms, you know, someone that's built in different ways. I think all those things are vital because preparing for what's to come and what's to come, I think it's going to be great things, especially for the athletes. I think we're getting closer and closer. I think Oregon just passed a bill that, uh, or has proposed a bill that players would get in um, get royalties on merchandise. So I think all that stuff is awesome. But you need someone that is is familiar with the changing landscape because when that money comes in, which it should, conferences and the way that we construct sports in college are going to change drastically. So I think you need someone that's been on had multiple positions, has been around, has seen the way things work, and can kind of fit some of those principles that they've picked up all over and bring them back to here. What about the idea of having ties to Kansas? I mean, 
you spoke to the specificities about this job and knowing what it's going to entail. In your eyes, does that necessarily mean this person needs to have ties to either the area or the university? I don't think that they would need to have ties. However, I do think it's important because <clears throat> I think every athletic department and every athletic situation is unique on its own. And I think there are a lot of things about Kansas that are very specific to Kansas that someone with a background and a relationship to this place could relate to and maybe has already had some ideas of how to solve. I don't think it's uniform that it has to be someone with a Kansas background. But I think it's time to think about those things very strongly because it, it is a unique place. And if, you, if you're going to – like unique, you know, always is associated with good or bad. But I don't mean it like that. I mean every athletic department is unique. You know, like what, what you get at Oklahoma, what you get at Kansas State, it's different. There's regional, you know, limitations. There's regional strengths. There's program strengths. There's program weaknesses. I just think when you get someone that's familiar with the, with the school and what they have going on, maybe they're, they're able to address those problems clearly. Now, the same could be said about getting someone that has no ties and has a fresh perspective. Um, so I don't think that it should be limited to someone that has KU connections, but I do think there are advantages to that. Talking to Brandon McAnderson here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. One of the first order of businesses for uh, Kurt Watson, the interim AD, was naming Emmett Jones the interim head coach. What kind of opportunity do you think Jones has right now? I think he has a great opportunity, and I think that it's great in general. And I say that because I'm, I'm obviously a huge fan of Emmett Jones, but what you want in coaching and just looking at the reporting about the candidates, a lot of the candidates are similar to someone like Emmett Jones. You know, you want to you want to find someone on the way up that can come in, and maybe they have like you hear the uh, the Bowling Green guy was a Wisconsin tight end, and they've been you know, or was it Kent State? Kent State. Uh, he's been they've been X on this, they've been on offense, and they've done this, that, and the third. And then there's a Buffalo coach who's always turned the program around it. So I think they're looking for characteristics that Emmett Jones possesses. I think he is someone that could be a superstar coach with the right type of surroundings. Um, so I feel like they do have someone that could potentially be what they're looking for. And my hope is that he gets an opportunity to prove it to whomever's hired in the athletic department. Do you think that it would be wise to let Jones at the very least use this season as an audition and let him hold on to that interim tag for the, the next year while you continue that coaching search just to see if maybe that right candidate is the guy already there? I think that is, that isn't, I don't want to say it's a mandatory thing, but I think that absolutely should be under consideration. And I say that because what the program was under Les Miles obviously was not what people had hoped for. Um, but what he was able to do is he was able to build a staff that had that strong with recruiting They've done a, a really good job recruiting. Uh, they've done a really good job of developing those players once they're here because I felt like looking at the team last year, a lot of their Big 12, all Big 12 caliber potential players were all young, all freshmen and sophomores, first and second year players. So the foundation is good. Now, I don't know if you can be worried about departures because that's part of it. And that's one of the reasons, that's one of the appeals of keeping Image Jones is that you have some of that collective, uh, some of the known stuff. Because when you have a program that, that changes so much, you end up with 
nobody feels like they're at home there. Mm. The players don't feel like they're at home there. The alumni don't feel like they're at home there. So I think they did build the foundation of something with Coach Miles at the helm. And I think leaving Emmett Jones in place to see what that could be um, would be a good choice because he's someone that is strong-willed. He's a great recruiter, someone that when he talks, you listen. Man, I, I sit there. I've been in awe of him every time we've had an opportunity to communicate. So I see him as someone who could be a potential star. Um, and if you have someone like that, let's try to cultivate that talent as opposed to trying to replace it and, and entering into some unknowns. And maybe those unknowns are exactly what we need, but it's impossible to know. So I think if you have someone here, do your due diligence and see if this guy could be the guy. Not asking you if you specifically know players who might feel this way, but just generally speaking, do you think there are guys in in a locker room who, given the current situation, may be saying to themselves, hey, if they go and hire some coach I've never heard of or some coach I didn't sign up to come play for, I'm out of here. So I, I don't know personally about that. Obviously, you, you preface that by saying it. But I don't think that matters that much. And I just don't feel like Kansas is one player away from anything. Mm. They're not five players away from anything. <laughs> so if they lose five players, maybe those guys had great talent. Maybe those guys go off and do something great like uh, Khalil Herbert did in his one year at Virginia Tech. But what impact does that have on the collective program? I don't think it has any. Because I think what they're trying to build is a foundation of people that want to be here. And if you spend all your time worrying about who might leave, I think that's the wrong, that's the wrong approach to try to build a program. You want to keep people here that want to be here. And, they should ha- and the kids that don't want to be here should have the freedom to choose whatever future they want. I don't think you can be overly concerned with that. But I do think that it speaks volumes when your players are players that you want in your program, good quality people that are, that are, that are improving, that are committed to improving. You do want to keep as many of those guys here. And if that is a relationship with a coach, it's worth exploring. And I didn't specifically say this, but I, I think it's sort of implied that the reason I asked that question is because Emmett Jones has been the best recruiter on Les Miles' staff. And there's a lot of talented players who came here specifically because Emmett Jones recruited them to Kansas. So to go down that rabbit hole a little bit more, what do you think Jones would have to do to keep that job and to remove the interim tag to become the, the full-time head coach? Like, What would he need to do to earn that job? I, would, I think it's, this is kind of some of the same conversations we've had with, about Coach Miles and what we were hoping he would become. I think it's what it looks like. You know, I, I, the win-loss expectation is always going to be there. But what do those wins look like and what do those losses look like? Because you can beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Maybe there's two teams on your, on your schedule you're supposed to beat. You beat those two teams and you're two and two and ten, right? The, the difference between a good two and ten and a bad two and ten, it's not like, you know, there's some vast difference. But what it looks like from a competitive standpoint is a difference. And, and the example I use always think of is TV games. Sometimes there is a weekend where there aren't a lot of ranked matchups. And they're looking for some intriguing storyline to put on national TV to maybe pull some eyes in to check out a program that that could potentially upset one of these high-level teams. Kansas needs to put themselves in position to do that. They need to be one of those teams that maybe get the night game against OU the last two weeks of the season because they've been so competitive in all their other games. Not necessarily because they've won, but because they've been in games, they've been competitive, they've, they've taken punches and thrown some of their own. So that's my expectation for the team, and I know that's 
something that's been repeated often. And I know, you know, optimism is becoming exhausting for a lot of KU football fans. Um, I'm not one of <laughs> So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a team that's competitive throughout the season that has a puncher's chance in six or seven of their conference games because that's what's going to make people look at it and say something's changing here. And the reason that I make that connection is because my first year as a redshirt freshman, the team that I played for, we were four and seven. And I think before um, we won against Missouri late, so we were not a good – I mean, we were three, you know, three and six. You know, it wasn't like we were some spectacular team. We lost some games that we should have won. We lost to Northwestern up late. We lost to Texas Tech on a third and long. So there was all these games where we didn't win those games. But you could make a legitimate argument that we probably could have been a six-win team. That's progress because we were competitive on defense. And when we had opportunities to make plays on offense, we did in a lot of those games. Um, and we ended up beating K-State for the first time in 11 years. So those kind of things make a huge difference. Even if the long-term success is hard to see, I think progress on the field and in the competitiveness with discipline is a big difference because last year's team struggled with discipline. You know, they had games where they blow coverages two, three times in a row or, you know, the K-State game where they were down, you know, by three touchdowns and the Kansas State had 100 yards of total offense. So there was all these little things that if you looked at the big picture, you saw what was missing. But the score didn't tell you what. The score couldn't indicate the success that the program was actually having. For me, I would want the score to indicate what's happening in the program. And to me, a 34-17 loss to a good team is much different than a 62-21 to loss to a team. So I would like to see them start to make that type of progress moving forward. And if they can do that, under Emmett Jones. I think he's a guy that deserves an additional look. So what's interesting to me is that as bad as you know the recent run of hires have been for KU football, you do learn a little bit about what doesn't work, right? Like when I was in I was in high school, I worked a summer job hanging drywall. And that was all I needed to know that, you know, I'm not cut out for manual labor. Like that's that's not gonna be my path in life. So I I wonder after these last four hires of Gill, Weiss, Beatty, now less miles, none of them having anything close to a semblance of success at Kansas. What have we learned, not necessarily about who the right guy is or what the right guy, what their traits need to be like, but about what won't work, about the sort of things that you want to see Kansas stay away from in this next hire? I think what we learned is how complicated this process is. And sadly, what we learned is that we know nothing. <laughs> you know, like you, you, you go get a guy like... Uh, Beatty, who's a recruiter, and you think, well, he's a recruiter, he's taking less money, He does this isn't a stepping stone job for him, he wants to be here and he wants to have success. And all that want ended up in nothing. And then you get a guy like Les Miles, he's rejuvenated, he wants an opportunity to prove himself, you know, that he's a, he's a major head coach again, that ended up the same way. Then you go to Charlie Wise, well, you've got this guy that was once a super successful coach in Notre Dame, he wants to re- no. Uh, Turner Gill's the hot name. He's the hot coaching hire. He's the guy that got passed over by Auburn, and then we got him. This is awesome. No. So they all ended the same way. But when you hired someone like Coach Mangino, there was a lot of fanfare related to that. He had never been a head coach before at the, college, at the Division One college level. Um, so you, there's just so much unknown. It's impossible. You know, like Coach Mangino was the most successful coach, but we didn't have, like, terrific recruiting classes. Like, the talent in the building – at this current team, if you were in that building and saw these dudes, they have some dudes more than we have 
during my career. So it just tells me that you know nothing, that, that all of this is a process and that you want to get the right person. I think now what we should know is that fit is more important than everything else. How do they fit to the roster? How do they fit to the conference? How do they fit in recruiting? What's the player development like? What's the staff retention like? There's just all these impossibly impossible unknowns that the most important thing is that you're getting the right person. It's not that you're getting the hot coach. It's not that you're getting the guy with something to prove. It's not getting the guy that really, really wants to be a Kansas. It's about picking the right person for the right reasons. And that is so abstract that you just want to be, you want to be thorough in your process and you want to, you want to basically investigate every loose end and tie it up before you make that decision just so that you know the person is right and give them an opportunity to try to prove it. Good stuff from Brandon McAnderson who joins us. Uh, every Friday, normally, today on a Thursday, BMAC is great stuff as always, man. I uh, I really appreciate your perspective because I know a lot of people like hearing it, especially now, more than ever. So thank you for the time as always. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you again soon, man. How you do the same. Thanks for having me. All right, so taking a look at this college basketball draft that we have been doing all season long, the first weekend was not very kind to me. About... A month into the season, Derek and I drafted college basketball teams. We each took turns. We drafted four teams. Each week, we had the opportunity to drop one of those teams and replace them with somebody else. Here's how you win. One of those teams wins the national championship. If one of us owns that team or has that team on our roster, so to speak, the other person has to buy them a steak dinner. We said last week before the start of the NCAA tournament that it was going to be the final time we would have a chance to adjust those teams. And after one weekend, I have had two of my teams eliminated. Derek has had one of his teams eliminated. So the two teams that I have had eliminated were Iowa, who lost to Oregon in the second round. Which I could have seen that, but still a surprise. And Illinois, who lost to Loyola Chicago. In the second round. I think we both had Illinois going to the title game, did we not? Yeah, in my bracket, I had them losing to Gonzaga. And, you know, in hindsight, I guess it makes sense. It's not that I didn't think Loyola could beat Illinois. I thought that was, I mean... How often do you see Cinderella go two years? Yeah, look at it like this, though. We say Cinderella, but we all knew the analytics loved Loyola of Chicago. And had Gonzaga drawn Loyola, a potential Loyola matchup in the second round, we would be saying, wow, that's a really tough draw. That's a, that's a really bad beat for the number one overall seed. But instead, they got Mizzou and Oklahoma, who were both by the actual selection committee and the analytics pegged to be about where they ended up on the 8-9 line. Whereas Loyola went into the tournament as a top 10 team according to Ken Palm, and I think a fringe top 10 team, according to Bart Torvik. So, like, the analytics out there, you don't always trust them because Wisconsin was a top 10 team as well. There is some some give and take, but Loyola was a very popular team, and turns out they were good enough to beat Illinois, and they looked damn good. I mean, that was a clinic. That was a clinic. Illinois tried their damnedest to get back into that game, and they couldn't. Cameron Crutwig, wow. That's, Best player on the court. That's the hero that we need in college basketball. So, we now stand. I have still Baylor and Alabama alive with Iowa and Illinois being eliminated. You 
have Gonzaga, Houston, and Michigan still alive with Ohio State having been eliminated. So what do we do from here? Do we just ride this out? I mean, we could, but I actually have an idea that'll make it interesting. I don't think that we should be able to sub out um, a team to get anyone, right? Like, I, I don't think I should be allowed to, for instance, sub out Ohio State and take Florida State or Villanova. So I think what we should do to compromise there, you can sub out one team this week, which would obviously for both of us be a team that was eliminated, but it has to be for a double-digit seed. Remind me who the double-digit seeds remaining are. Okay, so uh, there's none in the West region. Um, in the whatever the bottom right quadrant is, I forget what region that is, um, you have three of them, right? With Oregon State, Syracuse, or maybe it's just two. Oregon State and Syracuse, so you have two there. And then you have UCLA in the bottom left quadrant. And then in the top right one, you have Oral Roberts. Okay. So I have the chance to add two teams, right? No, you only get one. See, that makes it interesting. Yeah. Would I rather take my two against your three, or would I rather take a hypothetical three against Mm -hmm. your four? And I would give you the first pick, since you're a little further down right now. Hmm. So, here's where I am at. I mean, first of all, how would you rank those teams? You know, of realistically, none of them are going to win the title. But, like, in the off-world that, I don't know, Syracuse makes it to, like, the Final Four and then they win the title from there by the other teams defaulting by COVID. You know what I mean? Um, How would you rank those? I think Oral Roberts would have to be at the bottom just because they're the 15. Um... I might even put Oregon State at the bottom. Really? I think they're that bad. Yeah. They have an easier path, though. Yeah, they do, but Oral Roberts plays a more interesting style with the way that they shoot threes, and you've got two really dynamic scorers. So that, to me, I know I get it. They're a 15 seed, but Oregon State, like I still don't really know what they do well. So who would be the top? Would it be Syracuse or UCLA? Yeah, it, I think it's pretty close there. Syracuse, maybe with the track record, just because we know how much that Two three zone I gives think teams problems. UCLA would have the hardest path, right? I mean, you'd have to go through number two Alabama, then either Florida State or Michigan, then probably Gonzaga just You're right. to get to the title. So for that reason, I'd probably give the edge to Syracuse. I agree. Syracuse would be the top pick, but here's where I'm at: is that my disadvantage kind of feels the same as it did before the tournament began because I already had Iowa. And I knew that Iowa would have to go through Gonzaga, even though knowing they're not, they're probably not going to beat Gonzaga. Now that Iowa's already been eliminated, that's basically the equivalent of them having lost to Gonzaga anyway, which wouldn't move the needle because, again, we kind of expect that to happen. So that one doesn't bother me. It's the Illinois one. Like, Illinois was my second favorite team that I had after Baylor. So I'm kind of like, what do I do there? If I were to take Syracuse, assuming you would take, I don't know who you would take. Um, I would, I mean, if I would advise you to take UCLA, but if you wanted to take Oregon State because you think it's an easier path, then, you know, you could do that. But you know what? Yeah, I will do it because I think Syracuse has a legitimate shot at getting to the Final Four. I don't think UCLA. Oregon State or Oral Roberts have a legitimate shot of getting to the Final Four. So, and even then, like, even if I'm taking Syracuse just to get to the Final Four, 
they're not going to win the title. Like, they're just not. Right. So this is all sort of silly. No, that's what I, yeah, that's what I meant earlier. But, you know, you do have that added caution of what happens if you get to the Final Four and a team has what happened to VCU, you know? And then all of a sudden Syracuse playing for the title and then they just have one great game. Or the VCU thing happens again in the title and they just, like, walk their way to the national championship. I think what is going to happen is we're going to go back to square one of where we started the season, and we're going to see Gonzaga-Baylor in the top. Okay. Yeah. Did okay. Baylor not look like the team pre-COVID in the first weekend of the tournament? Did that look like mm-hmm. pre-COVID-Baylor, or did that look like post-COVID-Baylor? Yeah. I also will say I was really impressed with Michigan, and I have I have no idea. They've been really coy about how long Isaiah Livers is going to be out. Um, I kind of thought they were going to lose in the second round to either LSU or St. Bonaventure, and... You know, maybe the closer they get, if Isaiah Livers does come back, like maybe we start getting the conversation of can they beat Gonzaga as well. So I, I think any of those three teams realistically can win the title. If I gave you at this point Gonzaga, Michigan, Baylor versus the field, you'd obviously take that first three, right? Would you do Gonzaga and Michigan versus the field? I would probably do Gonzaga versus the field at okay. this point. They've made it to the Sweet 16. Uh at least one of their big stiffest competition is out, even though they wouldn't have faced them till the title game. But that's a team, Illinois, that if we're just circling the teams that could potentially give Bay- Gonzaga problems, like they're one of them. Let me ask you this. What would you put the chances of, and maybe you have the Vegas odds, what do you think the chances of Gonzaga losing one of these next two games is? Like, is it a lock that they're going to the Final Four at this point? Given the draw, given they don't have to play Iowa, they don't have no, to play Kansas. I, mean, I, I don't think it's a it's a lock. Like, could you see a game where Creighton goes? I don't know, fifteen of thirty from three. That's what's crazy about this Gonzaga team. Like, Creighton could go out there and they they can be hot or cold shooting on the cold nights. They usually lose big on like they had against Georgetown in the Big East Championship. But when they're hot, they're really tough to beat. So if they go out there and they go fourteen of thirty two from three. It becomes interesting. Like, of course you could beat a team in a one-game sample. But, again, the thing with Gonzaga is Creighton could go 14 of 32 from three and Gonzaga goes 16 of 32, you know? So, um, I I think it's possible. And I really like Oregon. Um, I don't know how USC would match up with them. If USC shoots like they did against Kansas, then, yeah, you give them a chance. I think Oregon could actually keep it close to them. I'm not picking it to happen, but, like, to your point, the odds for Gonzaga just to win the West, it's minus 350. Wow. See, I actually think the winner of the Oregon-USC game could... First off, Oregon, much like Syracuse, they sort of play that matchup zone. This, I mean, there's a reason why Dana Altman has success in the yeah. tournament every year. No, that uh, their point guard, Will Richardson, is the guy's name, I believe. He was injured early in the season. He, like, broke a finger. He tried to play through it. He was shooting, like, 15% on threes. So they were like, dude, this isn't right. Let's get you have surgery. He missed some time. After he came back, they've only lost one game since then. I think they're like 13-1, and 14-1 and one since he has come back. They're a completely different team. I mean, since he's come back, they have been one of the, I don't know, 6-10 to 10 best teams yeah. in the country. So, Oregon's interesting just from that perspective. USC's interesting because of what we just saw. They've got size and length and athleticism, and that's pretty useful. Now... Gonzaga is so damn good and they can switch things up with the way that they play that they can almost always find a mismatch. They can almost always put you in a precarious situation defensively where you start to wonder, what do we do about this one guy? Like, if you move around Corey Kispert, 
Eventually, you'll find a guy who can't stay with him on the perimeter, and he'll knock down three or four threes, and then it goes from being a tie ball game to Gonzaga up by 12. Yeah, and I mean, that's the problem with Gonzaga. Like, that undefeated Kentucky team, as great as they were, it was done on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Like, they weren't a great shooting team. They they didn't take a bunch of threes. I mean, they were fine when they did because you still had, like, Devin Booker and Tyler Uless and the Harrison Twins were fine from three. But it wasn't an elite shooting team to where there was the option for them to have a bad shooting game with Gonzaga like I don't even know what a bad shooting game for Gonzaga is like they they don't seem prone to me to have that Kansas level three-point shooting game where it's like three of 23 like they're I I don't know like I I haven't gone through the box scores but I feel like their worst three-point shooting game would be like oh we went seven for 25 which like isn't great but like for a lot of other teams you would take that any day of the week is your worst shooting game. so there have been more Bad shooting games than you would think. They've had really? they had four of eighteen, four of seventeen, four of seventeen, four of sixteen. But see, that's what's interesting. They're con- not taking a lot because they're shooting sixty five. Conversely, on yeah. In those four games, they went thirty five of forty nine from two. That's seventy one percent. They won by seventeen. They went forty of fifty three. Seventy five percent inside the oh arc. Gosh. They won. 116 to 88. 21 of 33 inside the arc. 30 of 53. So, okay, they're missing shots outside. Well, Jalen Suggs is going to drive to the rim at will. Uh, Drew Timmy is going to go to work on whichever big guy you try to guard him with. Like They're always going to find a way. So do we start there? You have to have a defense that can prevent them from at least getting the wide open layups and maybe offensively you play a style that doesn't lead to runouts, that leads to... Because that's, that's where they kill you with that easy two-point percentage transition. And they're the number one scoring team from two-point range in the country. They shoot 64% inside the arc. So have fun. You have a game plan. Good luck with it. That's why Oregon is interesting to me. Oregon may provide a style of defense they haven't seen all year long. If you want to play one-on-one defense, you're going to lose against Gonzaga. Even if you got Evan Mobley, like you're gonna have Isaiah Mobley guarding Corey Kispert or Joel Ajayi, like yeah, no. What, that, what yeah. are you gonna do? So are the best teams to match up with Gonzaga, Oregon, and Syracuse? <laughs> no, honestly, yeah, probably, probably, especially on a quick turnaround. So that would you know be, what I'm actually Syracuse most interested. Is like, uh, they, 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 we're not going to see a national championship. Of I know Gonzaga, Syracuse, Gonzaga, Baylor's obviously like the quote unquote dream matchup because. I think just from an offensive showcase, that game would be awesome. Outside of that, I think the game I'd be most interested in seeing in the title game at this point would probably be Gonzaga against Loyola Chicago. Because you saw what Loyola did to that Illinois offense. They obviously wouldn't be able to do that to Gonzaga because with Illinois, it's more about the two guys than it is with Gonzaga where it's like four. But that would be very interesting to me. I mean, they effectively took... Io out of the game. Mm-hmm. And what nine points, two assists? And it's a first team All American, and he was irrelevant. And Kofi ended up with a big day. Like if you look at the stats, but when you look at what they did, how difficult they made it to throw the ball inside. I don't know how many turnovers they forced just on them throwing the ball, trying to force it inside to, to Kofi. I don't know that that game would be really interesting to me because Crutwig and Timmy, that would be a really cool matchup. They're both kind of similar in what they like. They're these big white guys, white who, yeah, exactly, who just like kill you to death with your pivot foot and stuff. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, just that swarming defense around him against some of those wings for Gonzaga—that would be a really intriguing matchup to me. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I if if we are deprived of Gonzaga Baylor, at least give us Gonzaga Loyola, which is not the matchup oh, you weird. thought you wanted, no. but it's the matchup that you need. And anyway, honestly, so you're taking Syracuse. Yeah, I'm taking Syracuse. Okay, can I? I'm going to change out Ohio State for the other OSU Oregon State. You're going to take Oregon State just I because like of path. The path better. Yeah, yeah. UCLA's path. UCLA's better That's than brutal. Oregon State. A lot yeah. better, but you really you're going to beat <laughs> Alabama, Michigan, and Gonzaga. Probably not. And then have to play in the national championship game still. Right? right? That's what this is all contingent upon. So, I mean, at this point, if Michigan, not Michigan, uh, if Arkansas or Villanova goes on to win the title, I guess you are both just buying our own steak dinners. All right. Two hours down, one to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk.